some of the most beautiful stories I've read throughout the years of revivals, if you will, of great moves of the Lord, where just an ordinary group of people got together and they said, God, here's the deal. We just want you to show off your glory. We just want you to do something amazing in our midst. God, all we have to offer you is our sin. And so here it is. And would you give us the faith by the power of the Holy Spirit? Make us men and women and students and children that are full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. And and when you cast all fear aside and all schemes of the enemy and all doubt and all worry, and will you just enable us? Will you enable us? Give us the faith to actually step out into that Jordan River. Watch you part the Jordan because the blessings are not on this side of the river. They're on the other side. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Father, I'm reminded of your faithfulness this morning. That even when we are faithless, Your word promises that you are ever faithful. And so, Lord, as we come before you today with grateful hearts, with hearts that don't take life for granted, but we treasure every day, we even treasure our challenges and the difficulties in life, because we know as soldiers of the cross, as followers of the cross, as surrendered exiles to King Jesus, that we just live a life of confidence through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, as we think on You and Your your goodness as we begin to open your word. Father, I pray that you would keep us from the schemes of the enemy, his lies, his deceptions, his devices. I pray that we would stay under the word, under the guardrails of truth, of faithfulness, of fidelity, and that we would be ever so in love with you and so in love with the world. And so, Father, as we open this glorious book, Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be acceptable to You and only You, my Lord, my Rock, and my Redeemer. And we pray this in the mighty name of the risen Savior who came to this earth, who was executed on a cruel Roman cross, and on the third day, the grave could not hold our King. We pray this in the name that's above every name. That at the name of King Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we pray this with one voice in Jesus' name and all God's people said, 
Amen. Take that Bible and turn to Luke chapter 1. We will pick up with our study of 1 Peter chapter 4 after the Christmas season is over here, first of the new year, looking forward to that. But Luke chapter 1, looking at verses 26 through 38. And the question today is this, how will I respond to God's call? The question is, how will I, make it very personal today, how will I, how will you, how will you respond to God's call? There are people in our culture today that are under this heretical notion that somehow you can take God or leave Him. Well, I'll just take God or leave Him. My life is good, and look where I am in life, and boy, I'm living in a nice house and driving a nice car, and I have good health, and i got an amazing retirement package, and hey, you know what? I really don't need a crutch at this point in life, but hey, God, if I get in a jam, <laughs> I'll tweet you. It's just another byproduct of the disease we're living in. There's a famine in our land. It's very ironic. We live in this amazing country, the most powerful nation on the planet, and yet we're living in the most severe famine you can live in. It's not a famine of bread or water. but it's a famine of hearing the Word of the Lord. I mean, church, what happened to thus saith the Lord? Like, what happened to this? Well, when you think through where we are in this culture, as we move into this Christmas season, as we move into this Christmas day that's upcoming, we can't take Jesus or leave Him We have to get to the point in our lives by the power and the illumination of the Holy Spirit that we realize that that Jesus is the air we breathe. That without Him, we we can't do anything. But churches, we're going to learn today, with Christ, all things are possible. I think so many times we look at our circumstances and we regulate our circumstances to the sky is falling and there isn't any hope. What are we going to do? And I don't know if you've learned this or not in your life yet, but I'm continuing to learn it, that when things seem bleak, that's typically when God shows up and He shows off. But it's going to take a great step of faith. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. Here in Luke chapter 1, here's what we learn from a, what most theologians would argue, a young peasant girl by the name of Mary. Three responses to how she responded to God's call. 
What will you do? How will you respond to God's call? How are you, present tense, responding to God's call? Well, here's what the Word of God says. Follow along as I read from the ESV. Luke chapter 1, 26-38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, very important, very important, to a virgin betrothed, engaged, if you will, to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, very important. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her, this angel Gabriel, he came to her and he said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you exclamation point. But, 29, she was greatly troubled, hmm, you think, at the same. And she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. This has been repeated twice, pretty important. Verse 31, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Just say that with me right now. Jesus. Say it louder. Jesus. 32, he will be what, church? Great. Say it again. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob. How long? Forever. And of his kingdom... There will be what, church? No end. Now Mary replies, 34, And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, miracle. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. 37, here it is. For nothing will be impossible with God. Church, how many things are impossible with God? Nothing. 38, Mary's final thoughts and response. And Mary said, behold, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. 
Have you ever received some news that perplexed you? Anyone been visited by an angel named Gabriel? Can you put yourself for a moment, I want you to go back in time and put yourself in Mary's shoes. Put yourself there. If theologians are correct, young peasant girl, here she is, she's betrothed, she's engaged, she's committed to be married to this man named Joseph. And that culture was a bit different. In this culture today, you can just kind of do whatever you want. You know, you live together, you cohabitate, you have kids, you don't get married. It's not a big deal in this culture. In that culture, it was a really big deal. See, often, here's what God does. Often God brings perplexing news into our lives to get our attention, to recalibrate us, to dial us in, not to our own mission, but to dial us into His mission. Matter of fact, when you think through that whole thought, I want you to write down this key number one in your notes. And here's the key number one. Write this down. When God calls us to a mission, He typically calls us to a mission that frightens us because it's bigger than us. Let me say this again. Key number one, when God calls us to a mission, He typically calls us to a mission that frightens us because it's bigger than us. Think through this for a moment, church, very deductively. If God calls you and I If He calls you today to a mission in your life that you somehow, by your gumption, by your talent, by your credentials, by your pedigree, by your resume, accomplish in your own strength, what's the need for God? All throughout pages of Scripture, all throughout these glorious pages of this book I'm holding in my hand that we lift high, that we exalt, that we believe. Amen, church? We are a Bible-believing church, not in name only, but in action. Amen? We believe the living, breathing Word of God. And because we believe it, we live by it, we're under the guardrails of it, we get under it, it's our hope, it's our identity, it's our security, it's how we live our life. Here's the reality, when you scour the pages of the Bible, all the way from the table of contents to the book of maps and everything in between, you see one narrative after another where God calls men and women to a mission that's much bigger than they are. Because if all we're doing is aiming for what we can accomplish, we will never accomplish what God wants us to accomplish. So often we look at what we think we can do, what we're able to do, and then we set the bar there, don't we? And God in His Word, all throughout the pages of Scripture, think about Jericho. I mean, just think about Jericho for a moment. Here's God. God says, look, I got an idea for you, kids of Israel. We're going to send you into this land. By the way, I'm giving it to you. I'm giving it to you. Now, you still got to fight for it, but I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to send you into this land, and you're going to go against the baddest, meanest dudes there are. 
the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Perizzites and the termites and on and on you go. And I'm going to send you to this city called Jericho and here's what I want you to do. Here's the strategy. Here's the game plan. I want you to march around it and then scream at it. You don't understand. I mean, you have, you have no idea when you study Jericho for the kids of Israel, a ragtag bunch of people, not a whole lot of talent, to take on Jericho made zero sense. But as we read today, with God, all things are possible. How many things are impossible with God, church? How many? Nothing. I was thinking about 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Write that down. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. And Paul's writing here to the church in Corinth, this church that had struggled, had so many issues. And he makes this statement that's sandwiched in these beautiful verses. He says this, for we walk by faith and not by sight. For we walk by faith. Way too many people who profess Jesus are walking by sight. Way too many. But we've supposedly been ransomed. We've supposedly been redeemed. We've supposedly given our life to Jesus and yet, we live life so often by what we can accomplish. And then people scratch their heads and go, why aren't there any miracles happening? Why aren't we seeing a revival break out? We walk. We literally, in the Greek, we tread slowly. We, we are walking by faith. We're walking by this faith that is a complete confidence that's not based on our circumstances. The faith is based on God. The faith is based on what He can do. The faith is based on His power. The faith is based on what He can do when there seems to be no way. That's when God often makes a way. Are you walking by faith today, truthfully, or are you walking by fear? So often we're so fearful. We're just so fearful. God, what are you doing? I feel uncomfortable. I feel unsteady. What are you doing? God's like, I got this. Just trust me. Just trust me, press into me deeper, get closer, get more intimate to me. I'm going to show you things that you can't even imagine, but, but you got to walk by faith, not by your sight, John, not by your flesh. Here's a thought I want to drive home this morning. Your faith life is greatly driven by your prayer life. Your faith life is greatly driven by your prayer life. And the potency of your faith life will only be as potent as your prayer life. You say, where are you going? Well, think through this. What is prayer? Prayer is simply this. 
where we plead with the Lord, we go to the Lord, we have conversation with the Lord, ultimately not to bend Him and conform Him into our will, but that we, as Mary did, to say, conform me into your will. And the closer that you and I, the closer we press into the Lord, the closer that we get to Him, the closer that we're intimate in prayer, in communion. Here's the question today, how much time do I and do you, do we spend with God, truthfully? Like, how much time do we spend with Him? I mean, if you're married, if you have kids, you're only going to be as close to that family as much as you spend time with them. The same process works in the spiritual realm as well. And the more that we're pressing in individually to God, the more that we come together and we press into God in one accord, the closer we get to one another, the closer we get to God. And here's what happens, the potency, the the dunamis, if you will, the dynamite of your prayer life will now transfer into the dunamis, the dynamite of your faith life. And way too many people are just hanging on to the shallow end of the pool and waiting for God to do a miracle. And that's simply not how this works. You say, well, how do you know? Well, let's go back to the Bible. Hebrews 11, verse 6, write it down. Hebrews 11, 6, famous verse says this, it's the hall of faith. You can go back to the hall of faith and you'll see all these crazy characters. I mean, you got Noah. Think about that for a moment. He's building a boat in the middle of his yard. Massive cruise liner. What are you doing, Noah? Uh, There's a flood coming. Really? Yeah, there was a flood that came. Great devastation. But one man and his family stood in the gap. Stood in the gap and lived. Rahab a harlot. On and on we go in the hall of faith. Hebrews eleven six. And without faith, it is what, church? Impossible. Let's read that together. And without faith, church, it's what? It's to please Him. For whoever would draw near. Now, there it is. The, this, the intimacy, the drawing near. The Bible says this in James, that draw near to God and He will do what, church? He will draw near to you. There's a promise there. That's a covenantal promise that when God says, look, I will draw near to you, you're going to draw near to me. Whoever would draw near to God must believe. This is not passive It's not intellectual. The word believe there is wholesale surrender. Totally in for Jesus. That He exists and that He rewards those who do what? Seek Him. Question for me and you today. How will you and I respond to God's call? Often God asks us to do things that will frighten us, because they're so much bigger than us. And in the flesh, we're control freaks, aren't we? We want to control this and control that. And the whole point of Scripture is that when you surrender your life to King Jesus, as we're going to see Mary does here in just a moment, that you literally take your hands off the wheel. And that's frightening, isn't it? It's frightening. Why? Because there's some comfort 
it's psychologically a misnomer because I don't know about you, but there's nothing comforting about me leading my own life. Amen? Like zero. But yet our minds, it's the battlefield of the mind. When God calls you to a mission that's bigger than you are and that frightens you, the battlefield of the mind begins to engage. You know that ping pong match that goes on up there? The circus between the ears? You know what I'm talking about? And man, we start playing games up there, don't we? Well, how's this going to work out? What am I going to do? And wait a minute, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm counting on that. And, and God's like, I'm over here. God's like, I'm over here. I, I want to do something amazing in your midst. I, I want to do something that, that people will talk about for years to come. And so often we're just hanging on to the kitty handrail, aren't we? It's impossible to please God when we don't faith them. But He rewards those who step out. Some of the most beautiful stories I've read throughout the years of revivals, if you will, of great moves of the Lord where just an ordinary group of people got together and they said, God, here's the deal. We just want you to show off your glory. We just want you to do something amazing in our midst. God, all we have to offer you is our sin, and so here it is. And would you give us the faith by the power of the Holy Spirit, make us men and women and students and children that are full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit, and and would you cast all fear aside and all schemes of the enemy and all doubt and all worry, and will you just enable us? Will you enable us? Give us the faith to actually step out into that Jordan River, watch you part the Jordan, because the blessings are not on this side of the river, they're on the other side. And so many people choose comfort over obedience. And comfort always leads to collapse in the spiritual realm. That was response number one from Mary. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. I'm not faulting Mary. If Gabe came onto the scene in my life and said something wild like he told her, I would be greatly troubled. It means this in the original, be perplexed, confused. And I would try to discern. I would try to come to a conclusion. Amen. What's going on here? doesn't make any sense what you're telling me. That's her first response. Look at the second response. Verse 34. Response number two, and this is a form of a question. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Again, pretty typical question that you might ask. Okay, Gabriel, you're here. Glad you're here. This is amazing. We're hanging out together, loving it. Can you explain to me how this is going to work out? Because humanly speaking, this doesn't make any sense. Question for you and me today. I want you to think right now of your individual life, and I want you to think of your family. And then I want you to think of our church. What are you? What am I? What is your family? What is my family? 
What is our church doing right now that's requiring great faith in God? Like right now is the questions being asked, what is the Holy Spirit speaking to your life? Like what is it even right now perhaps that God has brought onto your radar going, yeah, I need you to go do that. You know what I'm talking about, church? That. That that we've been avoiding perhaps for years and wandering in our own little wilderness. What is it today that I, that you, that my family, that your family, that our church collectively, what are we doing today that we could look at God and say, man, we're not perfect, we're stumbling forward, Praise God for His forgiveness and His mercy and His grace. But we know this, man. We are walking by faith. Man, we are out on the branch. And we just cut the branch off. And we're waiting for God to build a parachute on the way down. What am I doing? What are you doing right now? What is the Holy Spirit saying that I need you to go do this? It's going to frighten us. It's going to trouble us. It's bigger than us. But the blessing... The blessing is not in the shallow end. The blessing's in the deep end. You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. Mary says, hey, how, how can this be? Like, how, how on earth can this even happen? You know what's so interesting? She's a virgin. From a physical standpoint, this makes zero sense. But aren't you glad that God uses so many examples in Scripture where He takes the impossible, He arrives on the scene, He finds a vessel, i.e. Mary, in this situation, that even though she's questioning and troubled and perplexed and discerning all the things that you and I might do, that God takes that willing vessel and He parts the Red Seas of life. There was an old quote that went something like this. Jesus encountered two impossibilities. An empty tomb on the back end and on the front end, a virgin's womb. He entered through a door marked no entrance. And he exited through a door marked no exit. That's what our God does, amen? Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that on the third day, that as Jesus Christ was fully dead in that tomb, in that grave, Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that something humanly impossible happened on that Easter resurrection Sunday morning? 
with God, all things are possible. I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know your struggles. I don't know your worries, your frets. I don't know your wounds, your pains. I don't know your upbringing. I don't know all that, but I know this. According to Scripture, with God, all things are possible. And as we begin to step out in faith, we come together, we rally around one another, and we say, God, we know God. We know without any doubt, God, that you're going to do something on this corner. God, we know, we know that you're going to bring the revival. We know, God, Holy Spirit, we believe with a passion, with a fervency that you're going to do something on this corner that I believe is your pastor, that as we stay the course, that as we don't bend, we don't buckle, we don't break, but we continue by faith to walk towards Christ, to jump out into that deep end. I believe that God can bring a revival on this corner that will be written about for decades to come. The question is, do you believe it? Mary was greatly troubled. That's why key number two, when God calls us to a mission, the temptation is to question His leading. Key number two, when God calls us to a mission, the temptation is to question his leading. Isaiah chapter 55 says it like this, verses 8 through 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours. And my thoughts and your thoughts. Do you, do you see this church? Is this making sense? Is this sinking in that, that, that when we begin to live this life, when you live a life of faith, when you truly surrender all to Jesus, that, that you're all in, that man, just take my life and let it be, that's where the joy comes from. That's where the contentment comes from. Guys, have you ever been in a situation that you're walking with the Lord, there's great intimacy there, and you're going through a trial, and you kind of pause there along the journey, and it's hard, and it's difficult, and you don't like it, and it's lousy, and you're not praying like King James prayers, you know, like, thee thou thouest, get me out of this. No, you're praying, help, help, and help yesterday. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever been in one of those situations, though, that you're in the fire, you're in the pressure cooker, your back's against the ropes, your life is unraveling, it doesn't make any sense why a good God would allow this to happen into your life, but somehow in the very midst of the furnace, you pause for just a split second, and you go, man, I have some real peace. Ever been there before? Just a peace? That's the power of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? His ways are higher. His thoughts are higher. There's a lot of things that God does that I don't understand. I just trust Him. Just say, Lord, man, you're in charge. Just find us faithful. Find us obedient. Find us pursuing holiness and righteousness. Just find us in those silos. 
feasting on the Word, nourishment for our souls, just being nourished as, yes, we're sojourners. We are exiles in this life. We're in this world, but not of it. As we press on for God's glory, we just keep trusting Him. We know He's got a plan. We know He's got a purpose. Our job is not to micromanage the outcome. Our job is to be obedient. And boy, that's hard to do, to not micromanage the outcome, isn't it? Because that's what we want to do. We'll look at Mary's final response. Response number three in verse 38, and this is the key. And this is not a form of a question. This is in the form of a declaration. Look at verse 38. And Mary said, Behold... Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Do you see the shift? Have you picked up on the shift in these three responses? Let me read the three responses one more time. Look in your Bible for a moment. Here it is. Response number one, verse 29. But she, Mary, was greatly troubled at the saying, and she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Response number two, verse 34, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be? I'm a virgin. 38, responses are building, aren't they? Here it is. And Mary said, behold, it means this, lo, see, I am the servant. It's the the form of the doulos, the the willing slave, the, the servant that says, look, My rights are not my rights anymore. I give them to you. I I hand them over joyfully, willingly. I'm not trying to micromanage my life any longer. I'm not trying to dictate the outcome of my life. God, here it is. You set the blueprint. Here's the blank sheet of paper. I'm going to slide it across the desk to you, God. There's no fine print of the contract there. It's just a blank sheet of paper, God. You fill in what you want to do with my life. That's what Mary's saying. She's like, behold, I am your servant. Let it be according not to my word, she says. She totally releases control. Totally. And maybe you're here right now and the Lord's saying, I need you to release control. I need you to release control. Maybe in your life, God's saying, I have a plan, I have a purpose, I have a hope, I have a future for you. It's going to blow your mind, but you got to let go. You just got to let go and let me work. And that's exactly what Mary did. She went from how can it be to let it be. And would that be an amazing title to a song? Let it be. And that was for you Beatles fans. See, go back for just a moment. Look in your Bible. Look at 38. I want us to read this together out loud. If you don't have a Bible, look on the screen. I want us to read this together. The whole verse. Here we go. Let's read it right now together. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me 
according to your word. When you look at those words, either on the screen or in your Bible, these are some of the seven most potent words in all of Scripture. I am the servant of the Lord. What is it today, church, in your life individually, your family, our church collectively, that God is asking you, like even right now, He's asking you, He's saying, I need you to give that to me. It could be a fear. Perhaps it's an ongoing besetting sin. Perhaps it's control of your life. And God's saying, just give it to me. I want to do something amazing. I want to do something that will show off my glory to a lost and watching world. Key number three. Here it is in your notes. Key number three. Write it down. When God calls us to a mission, we must joyfully surrender to God's mission. Key number three. When God calls us to a mission, we must joyfully surrender to God's mission. Now, let me put a note, an asterisk by this. I believe Mary gives us a beautiful human response to frightening, bigger-than-us news. She did not immediately joyfully surrender, but praise be to Jesus, she got there, amen? And so many times, that's me and you, isn't it? So many times on the front end, God comes and He just barges through our door. And He barges through my door or your door. And He says, I got some incredible news. I want to rock your world. I want to shake you up. I want to wake you up. I want to do something that only I can do because I want my glory to spread all throughout Chester and beyond. And so often, I know for me, I typically don't go, man, this is amazing, God. I can't wait for you just to rock my world, prune me, and rid me of me. I know for me personally, that often is a process. But aren't you glad that when we are faithless, God from His Word, church, is ever faithful. Amen? Think on these verses. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Matthew 6, 33. But seek, what church? Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first, not second, not third, not ninth, not thirtieth, first. See, it's amazing when you and I get in a habitual pattern, not behavior modification, but true outflow from the heart of a true radical conversion in Jesus Christ, when we begin to seek Him first in all things, your life will never be the same again. I mean, literally, it will never be the same again. When you go to default of you know what, I need to seek God in this first. We were reading earlier this morning from Psalm 37, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your hearts. One of the most abused verses in all of Scripture, in my opinion. Because when you understand that word delight, to be pliable, to be flexible, 
That when we really seek Him, when we really give ourselves over to Him, when we truly surrender all that we are to Him, and it's no longer about me and my will and my glory, but I just surrender everything to Him, here's what happens. His desires now become my desires, not the other way around. Church, what is it today that you and I are seeking after, truthfully? Like, what do we seek for? Like, like right now in your mind's eye, what is it that whenever you get to X, whatever X is, X, put X out there. Man, if I just get there, if I just get there, I'll finally have the peace I'm craving, the joy I'm craving, the contentment I'm craving. Have you learned by now, because I know I'm learning, that just there is an ever-elusive carrot, if you will, that dangles and that floats through life that you can never get just there. Because when you get just there, you will realize very quickly that just there doesn't bring joy, contentment, and peace. Jesus brings joy, contentment, and peace. Matter of fact, you know this, that Jesus, because there He is, He bridged that gap that because we now have peace with God, we now have the peace of God. You'll never have the peace of God unless you first make peace with God. And way too many people, even inside churches today, are clamoring. They are running hard after this elusive peace. They got money, they got credentials, they got retirement, but they don't have peace. You will never have true peace until you give your life to the Prince of Peace, and His name's Jesus. And Mary got to that point, didn't she? Remember last week when we studied from Mark 14? And you remember that last week in Mark chapter 14? And there Jesus is, the Garden of Gethsemane. And you know the story. We studied it last week, and you've heard it ad nauseum. But there He is on the most pivotal night, I believe, in history the band of brothers who he brought near to him, his leadership team, they're asleep at the wheel. They're pursuing the things of the flesh, not the things of spirituality. They can't even stay awake. And as he's crying out, as he's going a little farther, he's pressing in deeper to the Father, more intimacy, more communion, more union, he comes to this conclusion. He says this, Father, look, here's the deal. Remove this cup from me. And church, here's the reality of human existence. We all have a cup we don't want to drink, and we all have a cross we don't want to bear. And yet Jesus modeled in this illustration, He says, look, here's the deal. Father, I'm going to model obedience to You so that I will continue on the mission. But I, I believe this wholeheartedly, that He modeled this obedience for a model for me, a model for You. That when we have that cup that we don't want to drink and that cross we don't want to bear and life's hard and we want to quit, we know very confidently from God's Word that we are to be steadfast and to be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing confidently the labor for Him is never in vain. We don't grow weary while doing good because the Word promises that for those that stay the course, 
that they're faithful, they're obedient, that they're going to reap a great harvest if they do not lose heart. How many people have quit? And if they just would have stayed the course, they would have gotten to door number seven. Because 100% of people that quit never get to where God is calling them. As Jesus went a little farther to die for my sins, the question is, how far, how far am I? How far are you willing to go for Him? He came to this earth not because He was bored. He came to this earth not so that I could have a present under a tree. He came to this earth for me, for you, that He would be the present that hung on the tree. He was born to die. He was born to go into a grave. He was born on the third day to conquer the grave forever. And the mark of a true Christ follower is modeling Jesus' example. This is the mark of a true Christ follower. To model Christ's example that in the midst of the trials, in the midst of the challenges, in the midst of the difficulty, that we stand tall that we stiffen our spines by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we simply press into Him. As we press into Him, as He works through us, as the conduit, as He flows through us, here's what happens. As our spine is now stiffened with spiritual titanium, that we won't bend, we won't buckle, we won't break, we begin to press into Him through prayer. And the potency of my faith life will only be as potent as my prayer life. And we come out of that equation saying, God, this is not what I want. I don't like it. It's lousy. It stinks. I don't want this cup. I don't want this cross, comma. But nevertheless, nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Because there's no greater place to be. There's no greater place to be. You can't get the sailboat or the condo or the retirement package that will ever give you the contentment and the peace and the joy than being in the center of God's will and just simply proclaiming, oh, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your words. That's the only place to be. You say, well, how does all this work out? I'm glad you asked. Because in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, let me give you this. Matthew 16, verse 18. And I tell you, you are Peter. He's talking to Peter. Peter's struggling. All throughout that chapter, there's some struggles going on. And he says, you are Peter. And on this rock, on this Petrus, I will build my church. Jesus is speaking here. Don't miss this. Who's building the church? Not a trick question. Jesus. Don't miss that. I will build my church. And here's the promise. Man, this should get you shaken up. If you're not Baptocostal after this one, I don't know if there's hope for you. Amen? Here it is. Ready? Here we go. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And all God's people shouted, wow. Wow. There she is. (laughs) There she is. You know who God calls to do hard things? 
fully devoted disciples of Him. And the great news is He will never leave us nor forsake us. What is God asking you, me, your family, my family, our church to do today that's requiring great faith? Because if it's not requiring faith, we're not pleasing God. You know, way too many people want what Jesus can do for them. They just don't want Jesus. That's the flavor of the day. Man, we get in a jam, man, boy, we'll be there. <laughs> we'll be at the prayer gathering. We'll be on there Sunday morning. We might even come to Sunday school if it's that bad. I mean, if the trial's that deep, we might start coming to Sunday school. It's just a sign of our times where the wheat and the tares are being sifted. I remember, this was years ago, our kids were small. I think we just had maybe two at the time. But I made this fatal mistake. And I took my kids to one of those Florida amusement parks. You know what I'm talking about? You know the kind where you go down to the bank and take out a second mortgage? You know what I'm talking about here? So we go to this amusement park, and we picked a beautiful time to go. I think it was 8,000 degrees. And by the way, how do you go to one of those amusement parks and buy one of those turkey drumsticks for $19? How does that even work? That's extortion, isn't it? So there we are in the amusement park, and it's, it's hotter than blazes. And we're trying to have fun. The lines are long. We're not complaining. Trying not to. And so we're there like all day, right? And so as we're leaving and we're tired and a little frustrated and exhausted, what we asked our kids, we said, well, well what was your favorite part about the amusement park? I mean, we did all this crazy stuff. I mean, it was all day long from sunrise to sundown. We literally spent all the Monopoly money we had. Amen? Like it was gone. And I'll never forget, what was your favorite part? <sighs> Daddy, we, we love the tram. Let me get this straight. I just spent $1,000, and you liked the tram that took us from our car to the park? I could have spent $22. See, see, the tram only gets you to the park, not in the park. And way too many people are viewing Jesus as the tram. Well, let's hop on and ride, and we'll get a lift where we want to go, and you know, don't get us too close to holiness or righteousness, because that might be too offensive, but we just want what you're going to give us, Jesus. We just really don't want you. And they're just riding the tram through life, aren't they? See, Jesus is not a tram that gets you just to God. He gets you to God 
and then you're forever with Him in the whole equation. Question for me and you today, are you just riding the tram? It's just too easy to ride the tram. That's what America does. You ride the tram. But God doesn't want you to ride the tram. He, he wants you to get off the tram and He wants you to get into the deep end of the pool where, where it's going to hurt and there's going to be some pain. But, but church, you've got to understand this from God's holy, living, breathing Word. That's where the blessing is. Are you going to be like Mary and just stay on, on the front end of the equation and just, hey, be troubled and perplexed and just hang out there the rest of your life? Troubled and perplexed. Sky's always falling. I can be like Mary and then move to step number two and you know what, wait a minute, uh, I'm going to ask a question right here and, and how will this be and it doesn't make any sense and just going to hang out there? Or are you and I going to get to the point where we're like, you know what, God, we know this. I mean, when you call us to it, you're going to lead us through it. We know, as Hudson Taylor said, that your work done your way never lacks your supply. Are we going to be the type of people that say, God, just let it be according to your word? It's not about us. It's not about our glory. It's about the fame of your name. It's about you just going all throughout Chester, Virginia, and the Holy Spirit and the fear of God just sweeping through our community and, and just taking over our community and people's lives being changed and marriages restored and people repenting. And I just picture thousands of people running to the cross of Jesus Christ. Is that your vision? Do you hunger for that? Do you thirst for that? I pray that you do. What are you doing today that's requiring great faith in God? And if you're living in disobedience right now, it's not too late. It's not too late today to step out and say, God, I'm in. I'm in for your glory. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll go wherever you want me to go. To just take my life. I'm, I'm tired of trying to do this on my own, but, but here's my life. Just take it right now. And I know you'll bless my obedience in you. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. And Lord, as we just simply cry out to you, as we worship you, as we come to this time of invitation, of decision, oh Father, I pray, would you move? Would you stir? In this time, Father, May we be found faithful. May we be found obedient. Lord, as we open this altar, perhaps there's someone that wants to pray. Perhaps someone needs to repent from a sin right now that has them enslaved. There's no way to live. That's just no way to live. You can set free today. You can get set free today. You can give your life to Christ. By faith, you can trust Him. Say, Jesus, I'm giving my life to you today. I no longer want to do this on my own, but I want you to take over. And I know you're going to frighten me and call me to something bigger than I am, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. And so, Father, whatever you want to do in this time as we look towards the birth of Christ, may we be found faithful. And to you be the praise, to you be the glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.
You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.